This episode of Safe Space Radio is brought to you with support from the Equity Fund, Physicians for Social Responsibility, and listeners like you. This is WMPG. My name is Dr. Anne, and this is Safe Space Radio. Today is the last interview in our series on LGBTQ teens in Maine. We're thrilled to have inaugural poet Richard Blanco with us, recording from his home in Bethel. During this series, we've been trying to capture this historical moment when marriage equality is one year old in Maine and is spreading across the country. We've been listening to LGBTQ teens talking about how their lives are impacted, whether it's getting any easier to come out, and what challenges they face in being themselves. Richard Blanco has agreed to give his own responses to some of these stories and to tell some stories of his own. Of course, we'll be including some of his poems. Richard Blanco is the author of four books of poetry, one brief memoir about the inaugural poem, and two monographs. He's in the process of writing a longer memoir, even as we speak. He's a civil engineer, the son of Cuban immigrants. He grew up in Miami and has been a professor at Georgetown and American universities. He now lives in Bethel, Maine with his partner, Mark. Welcome to Safe Space Radio. Hi, Anne. How are you? Hi, Richard. Good. So we've been listening for the past couple months to teenagers talk about their experiences of coming out. And usually it turns out to be in two parts, like the process of coming out to themselves and then the process of coming out to other people. So I thought I'd like to ask you some of the same questions. Sure, and, um, that'd be awesome. So for you, uh, tell me a little bit about your experience inside of realizing before you told anyone else that you were gay. Well, um, I got I to gotta say on the funny side, I was like, I remember the moment it was had to do with the $6 million man, <laughs> who I think is responsible for a lot of five-year-olds um, realizing they were gay. <laughs> so that was part of it. Um, and I think I always sort of... Uh, that was I, Lee Austin, wasn't yeah, it? Lee, yeah, I liked Lee him too. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that was always part of what I carried with me. But, um, you know, partly as my grandmother, who plays a lot into the story and, and the poetry, um, it was just sort of an impossibility to even think about coming out. Um, I was just petrified of her and her homophobia. And so uh, really, I just carried that with me and I really did a great job faking it um, and overcompensating <laughs> For it, I really tried to play the part, and um, um, you know, I, I had always had girlfriends, and always, you know, was dating someone, and all this stuff, till um, till about 25. Um, and what happened, actually, oddly enough, was that after I studied engineering, I started writing poetry, and started sort of, you know, any art really gets you into deeper levels of yourself, and imagining a world as a poet, myself in the world as a poet. Um, of a life in the arts, a life that I'd always sort of dreamed of, gave me the courage to say, you know, I can be this other person too. Uh, and so in, in a weird way, it was art that liberated me uh, from the chains of my grandmother's homophobia and let me see a new life for myself. And it gave me the courage to, to, to come out. You know, of course, like everything, there's a, a year of <laughs> the gray period, as I call it, <laughs> 300 shades of gray. <laughs> so, um, so and what that, do you mean by that, like shades of gray? What do you well, mean? I think there was, you know, that, there was that moment where you're, okay, I've, I've come, uh, sort of not come out, but sort of have had the, the, the act, the sexual act of kissing a man or whatnot. And you're like, well, maybe <laughs> you're still not quite, uh, and I think I, um, I think I had like sort of a girlfriend at the time too. So there was this great period of, of you were hedging your bets, <laughs> hedging my bets and thinking, could this is a year of sort of 
really getting used to the the idea or the possibility of and what that would look like. And then, of course, um, that symptomatic sort of withdrawal from my close friends and family because I knew something was going to change and I knew that I'd have, if this went on, I would have to come out to friends and family and um, especially friends. So there's this kind of withdrawal period for a while where as you're sort of roaming around the world, um, sort of in this evaluation period by yourself and it's a very very confusing and 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 so I think there's a year before sort of that final vow so to speak that final okay this is it there's no going back you know um and then and then the process of course of that coming up is a is another stage you know yes well let's let's wait and talk about that in a minute I I want to play a clip for you about um a boy, his name is Aiden, who talks a little bit about his knowing that he was a boy. This is a transgender boy. And uh, for him, it took a very dramatic and painful experience to finally get clear. So we're going to play that story for you now. My mom had to go away for business. And so my mom asked me if I would go with her to Boston for her business trip. And um, so on the car ride down to Boston... We were talking about why um, I'd felt the way I felt so bad to want to kill myself. And I told her that I always felt like I should have been born a boy. Was that the first time yeah. you'd ever said it? How did she respond? Um, I don't know how she felt internally, honestly, but I do know that she was probably relieved to know that there was an answer to all the questions of why it felt so bad and like it was a way to start the next steps of trying to make me feel better. It was something that you could actually do something about. Yeah. Yeah. And so were you clear in your own mind before the first time you said it that that's how you felt? Yeah, I think so. I, I've always known it. Because I remember when I was little, I used to go to bed and like be like, I wish I could wake up and just be like a boy for a day. If that's all I could have is just a day. I wonder what that would be like. So when I hear you, I'm struck. It sounds almost like on the one hand, I hear you saying, you know, like I kind of knew all what I always knew. And on the other hand, I hear tell me if this is right, that before the suicide attempt, there's this kind of like knowing without knowing. Like it wasn't, it, I don't hear that you kind of really were clear. Yeah. So is that what you mean by a gray area, that the sort of like knowing without knowing? Yeah, that's a great way of putting it, knowing without knowing. And I think you carry it since, you know, I, I think since, you know, five or six, you know, that knowing without knowing. And and knowing that somehow, because you don't really even know at that age what sexuality really means or is. Um, and in my case with my grandmother's homophobia, um, whatever it was, was just the message was like, whatever you are is wrong but you don't know what that is either. <laughs> so it's like this, um, I mean, it's just a real, real, like, confusing sort of, it's it's more than just, a, you know, at age five, six, seven, eight, you don't, you don't really have the concept of being homosexual. Like, you know, you're like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm gay. <laughs> right. It doesn't even, there's no even language for that. You yeah. know, you just, and then, and then in my case, again, you know, it's just like the message was whatever you are is wrong to the point that I also, it made me feel um, my childhood was pretty traumatic because of my grandmother. And um, so I can, I can totally empathize um, with thoughts of suicide and stuff at a very young age too. Um, 
I remember I used to, I used to write notes to like oaths to myself that I would never do this or do that or do the other, um, you know, on penalty of death, you know, by God's, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and put these letters away, like, like almost like contracts with myself to not think about certain things or behave a certain way. And it just made me feel so bad. My grandmother made me feel so bad about certain things. And I remember that, that feeling of just like wanting to disappear, to just like not exist because it was so painful. Um, again, there was no door because you're not, the answer's not quite there yet. You don't say like at eight years old, like, oh, you know, I was thinking of going to the bar down the street. Like, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> this is what I am and it's not wrong. Like you're just, right. not, you're just so not you there yet. You just don't know. You don't have the, the language. One of my... Uh, uh, um, not not that long ago, my mother, uh, on one of my trips to Cuba, I learned about um, one of her nephews, whom I had never met, um, who had, at 12 years old, committed suicide. And I was immediately drawn to that story because it, it, I kind of knew what it felt like to be 12 years old and wanting to just go away, to just make it all stop. Um, someday I think I want to go back and, and back into his life and his story and, and maybe maybe write something or a novel that, that sort of brings that forward. I mean, what, why does that happen? Um, because in some ways I, I feel lucky. And, well, not lucky, but I feel that, you know, I know those feelings, but I was able to um, surpass them. Um, How or, did you? Like, what, what helped you not do that? I mean, you're making these oaths and writing right. them down, but what, what else helped you? Well, um, again, um, all things being relatives, my grandmother was very ver verbally abusive, but on the scale of one to 10, I think I was still had a pretty decent go of it. And maybe my own mental uh, fortitude or whatnot, I, I was able to, finally, when I started come, when I started getting into my teens, um, I knew what the answer was, right? Uh, now it was a process of, so once I knew the answer, now I knew I was, I could get there someday. And I think that snapped me out of it. Before it was just there was no answer. Uh, there was no language to even come up with an answer. I see. So from when you were a teen, you knew what the real answer was. You knew you were gay. Right. But it was still about 10 years before you could actually make that real. Yeah, yeah. And was that 10 years, was that really painful for you to kind of know what you want but not be able to have it? Um, it, it wasn't terrible um because i something in me knew someday this would happen <laughs> i just had to figure out all the right pieces um i uh i mean again everybody's coming out story is so particular right so I, i'm just a romantic fool <laughs> so i'm <laughs> in love i'm in love with love and um and so um I had relationships and girlfriends and things like that. I had an, a nice time. I mean, I loved, I, I really had loving relationships um, with girlfriends. I mean, I was like the perfect boyfriend. I never got jealous. They, they could do my hair, <laughs> just like do highlights and manicures together. It was perfect. <laughs> so um, uh, so I, I would say that after, you know, after I knew what, again, what the answer was, there's a certain confidence and, and, uh, and uh, sort of just going into the world and, well, let's see what this, let's see what happens. Um, and let's see what the end is like. Um, it's interesting to me because, um, you know, I, I, I've, I wonder what it's like to be in high school now and where there are actually those, those options, I think, are happening sooner. And I wonder what it would have been like for me. See, I was socialized as a straight man. 
um, what it would be like to be socialized as, as a homosexual or transgender, whatever, be accepted at a high school level must be like a, like incredible, like dizzying but wonderful uh, idea or feeling, you know, and um, I wonder about that. That's the hope. I mean, I think since marriage equality passed in Massachusetts, sexual teenage suicide rate has gone down, mm. which is really so, so hopeful. Um, but before we get to that, I want to, you've been talking about your grandmother and her verbal abusiveness. And one of your kind of most well-known poems is about that. And I wondered if we could hear one of your poems sure, to talk just sure. to give people uh, a sense of it. And so this is a poem called Queer Theory, According to My Grandmother. It's from your book, Looking for the Gulf Hotel. And I think what we're going to do is just ask you to, to read an excerpt of sure, it, if you yeah, like. Sure, it's quite long. Okay. Both. And before you read, um, is there anything you'd like to tell me about it first? Um, certainly. Interesting enough, I had never, it had never really come out until this third book of poetry because I found, um, I think I found a, a sort of a storyline for my own coming out story, and that was my grandmother <laughs> and this idea of what's cultural sexuality, which I, which I think is an important concept as we differentiate ourselves as 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 in, in the LGBT community that, you know, a Cuban-American kid who grew up behind a bowling alley in a suburb of Miami's coming out story is very different than an Asian-American kid's coming out story who lives in Topeka, Kansas, behind a dry cleaner. <laughs> so this this poem sort of is combining my grandmother's xen xenophobia with her homophobia and this idea of how how that brand of homophobia in itself is unique and, and unique to my story and my coming out experience. Never drink soda with a straw. Los hombres don't use straws. Milkshakes? Maybe. Stop buying your mother's Avon catalog and the men's underwear and those Sears flyers. I've seen you. Stay out of her Tupperware parties and perfume bottles. Don't let her kiss you. She kisses you much too much. Avoid hugging men. But if you must, pat them real hard on the back, even if it's your father. Must you keep that cat? Don't pet him so much. Ay, mijo, why don't you like dogs? Don't watch Bewitched or I Dream of Genie. Don't stare at the six million dollar man. I've seen you. Never dance alone in your room. Donna Summer, Barry Manilow, The Captain, Antoniel, Bette Midler, and all musicals forbidden. Posters of kittens, Star Wars, or the Eiffel Tower forbidden. Those fancy books on architecture and art, I threw them in the trash. No, you can't wear cologne or puka shells, and I better not catch you in clogs. If I see you in a ponytail, I'm cutting it off. What? No, you can't pierce your ear, left or right side. I don't care. You will not look like a goddamn queer. I've seen you, even if you are one. You know, having just talked about the difficulty, it, I hear that poem in some ways in such a painful way, such a sad way. When I first read it, it was also really funny because it felt like oh, this is the unwritten code. I mean, your grandmother was making it explicit, but right. almost every kid knows this. Right, right. And and uh, and I think what, as I've read that poem throughout the country, it's like they're, they're sort of where there's overlap in how I think 
gay youth feel is also that everybody has a relative like that in some ways, even even if you're not, you know, that person that's just squelching you with, with rules of love and, and, and protocol and how you're supposed to act and be. And, um, but yeah, it's really odd because my, my grandmother, um, when I first wrote that poem, I thought it was a scathing poem. I thought it was like this, like revealing poem. I thought it was like a really angry poem. And then I started read it, read it the first time in public, and just started laughing. I'm like, "Oh, it's a funny poem." <laughs> to the very end, to that very end, which is the little clincher. But um, yeah, the irony is that in some ways my grandmother was funny <laughs> because of her absurd behavior. But I have the distance now to to look back on it and find some silver lining in the whole thing too. Sort of, sort of, in the sense of of who she was as a character, of sort of ob objectifying myself a little bit from the from the pain. Did you eventually come out to her before she uh, died? You know, I think that was part of the the gray time, but <laughs> um, and not officially. I never told her straight out, but I think I'd come, I'd come out to my mother, and, like, it was already, like, sort of spreading through the family. You know, that's the other thing, like... You know, I realize that you have to have patience with others too. That they have to go out through their own coming out process, and your mother has to tell her friends and family members and all that stuff. And then my grandmother, I think, knew, uh, and then she she sort of started in typical gram my grandmother fashion. She started bribing me um, to get married, so <laughs> she offered me once ten thousand dollars to marry someone. <laughs> so. Um, so she, she knew, I mean, she went to the grave knowing that, that her grandson was exactly who he, who she thought he would be. Um, was that important to you? I think so. Yeah. I think in the note, I, I think so. I know. So, um, in the last moment I saw her, um, this is great irony, which is in one of the other poems, uh, she had had respiratory arrest and she was had a tracheotomy and was on a respirator and all this stuff. So she couldn't talk. Um, so, um, uh, I remember her just sort of wait, I was with her alone in the hospital room and I remember her just sort of opening her eyes and looking at me and closing them. And about two hours later, I was on a plane to go meet up with Mark, um, in Guatemala and she died. So, um, it was, that was, there was a unwritten unspoken um it was written <laughs> as i wrote about it an unspoken sort of reconciliation in a way that she went to the grave knowing that and i i don't know you're making me think but in in a way i think it was a relief for her too how do you mean well i think you know home for me i think it's a very complex thing but i think she feared for me genuinely uh being a gay man in a in a horribly cruel world and so i think that was part of her motivation too and i think sometimes we need to think about that with older generations too, that it's not just sort of this hate or this, um, it's a complex thing. And I think that in a way, in a way, her knowing that I had come out and I was okay and that I was strong and I was going to make it, you know, <laughs> I think in a way it was a relief. I mean, she didn't have to worry about me anymore, so to speak. That makes so much sense because for the older generation, they knew like really hate crimes exist mm -hmm. and you were her precious Grantham. Yeah, and you're ostracized and you're talked about behind your back and, and you know, and all sorts of things. Um, and, yeah. And that wasn't the way it was back then. And, and it wasn't, people would accept it under the table, you know, married men with children that everybody knew was gay. And 
And after I came out to my mom, she starts the laundry list of everybody in the family that's gay. I'm like, you couldn't tell me that before. Oh, really? <laughs> She's like, oh, oh, yes, mijo. Even his wife says he's gay. <laughs> oh, really? Wow, wow. Um, you know, do you think that that's a little different for girls than it is for boys or for young women? Do you think that the risks are bigger for gay men than they are for lesbian women, especially when they're young? Yeah, it's hard to... I, I It's hard to tell. I... Well, let me I maybe think... I should, maybe let me play you a clip about that, okay? okay? <laughs> because what we found in this series, you know, we were looking for high school students that were ready to talk in a public way, and it was very easy to find lesbian young women that were ready, but but it was very hard to find a gay student in high school, and so we started wondering why, and then we started asking them, and here's what um, one young woman, Sienna, thinks, and I'd like to get oh, your cool. response to it. Do you think it's harder to be a gay guy in high school than a lesbian? Absolutely. Absolutely, yes. Say more about that. Um, well, some people would say that lesbians have an easier time because people are more accepting of lesbians, but um, I think that it more has to do with people sexualizing lesbians more and being sexually attracted to lesbians and like the patriarchal view of two women is so attractive where two men is disgusting and I never want to have any part of that. Um, and it is also hard because masculinity is more of a dominant thing in youth culture. Um, if you are a girl who is more masculine, that's more acceptable than a boy wanting to be more feminine. Uh, masculinity is seen as a precious resource and to let it be depleted would be absolutely horrifying and my son's not going to be a sissy and all that type of mentality it's very toxic and i imagine it's very hard to navigate as a young gay man so do you, do you relate to that and yeah, what do you totally. think i think that um I think that's exactly one of, is one of my answers, um, that I, because we live in a patriarchal society, because men still today sort of rule the, the psyche of, of that sort of, of our world in some ways. And because it's okay for straight men to fantasize <laughs> about lesbian, you know, that, 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 uh, that has another flavor to, to the coming out experience. The other thing, uh, that the clip made me think about was that, um, why it might be easier, I don't want to say it's easier, that's hard, but why it might be harder for men, let's put it that way, for boys, is that in in a female society, there's still that sort of, to be stereotypic, um, there's more of a of a bonding, of a, of a, of a nurturing, of a, of safe space that's created, whereas boys don't know how to, we're never socialized to talk about our feelings or stick together, you know, we're sort of, the only time we stick together is like killing each other in a football field, you know, <laughs> so, so we don't, we don't have a, that, that sort of uh, close-knit sort of circle of where we can share feelings or it's just that we can't even talk about that so i think the absence of those two things you know together is a sort of a man is supposed to be always independent and you're not supposed to about your feelings and all this we don't have even a safe space where i think where i think girls especially at a younger age might have that sort of safe space and and i think that they uh are more for that reason there's more love and more accepting involved um even if you are different. Though it's like I they imagine. have a wider range to move in, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit about, about female friendship and how it plays into this. Because I want to play you a clip now um, 
that is part of an interview we did with a young woman named Samantha about her best friend and how her best friend's parents freaked out when they found out that she was lesbian. And they set up this kind of meeting to kind of officially disown her. And I want to play that for you. Then my friend's mom asked if we could talk about this. She said, we can either meet at Starbucks or we can meet at your house because you are not welcome in my house. And so we met them at Starbucks, my mom and I and my friend and her mom. And my friend was sobbing and I'm sitting here like, why do you get to cry? Um, because they were just like coming at me like, why are you making this choice? You're hurting so many people you love. You're, you're going to lose everyone. And they told me I was just a bad influence on her and she didn't want to be my friend anymore and her parents didn't want me to be her friend either so this is obviously a really painful clip and um she was being threatened and with the loss of everyone she loved for this so-called choice and um you know when i when i was thinking about you and your grandmother and just wondering if you, there are sadly so many people in situations like this, um, being threatened and, um, wondering if you have kind of words that you might want to share with her or to other teenagers who are feeling so scared about losing the people they love if they really are out. And what would you want her to know that you think maybe could help her? <laughs> um, I should say that, you know, this is one of the things that, you know, everything has, everything in life has sort of a, a good side and a shadow side, right? And, and so I think that, um, as I said, I wonder what, it's, what life would be like, you know, in high school to have that opportunity to come out. But I think what I'm seeing here is also that there, that's, that, that that's a sort of early sort of moment where you can be very vulnerable at that age and and things like that can happen and, and it's just even more devastating in some ways so i'm not encouraging not to come out this is not what i'm saying one thing you should know about this is that she was actually outed by her teacher to oh, her parents because i think which is exactly what you're saying like way before she would have chosen yeah and and that's what i'm saying like that 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 sort of why it took me a while too of course there were societal circumstances and all that but i think it's also a process of maturing inside to the point where like when you do step through that door um that you can do so with confidence and so wow that's really important to know about that clip um but you know i i in some ways, I'm great. For, in some ways, I hate that I, I was in the closet so long. In some ways, I'm glad I was in a way because when it when again when when I came out, I was already of age and mature enough to to kind of figure out I could handle anything that was thrown my way at that point. Yeah. And so I think for um, for uh, persons like Samantha, that if you are caught in a situation like that, remember that you're young. Remember that you're gonna 
in a few years, your life's going to be much different, uh, very different. You're going to be much more empowered. You're going to have a lot more choices. And then if you can get over that, this, this, this moment that seems so closed and you, you know, you're, you're a teenager. I mean, Chris, you're like, you're lucky if you have a car, you know, <laughs> that, that, um, keep the faith and know that, um, that as an adult, you're going to be this person and, and that's fine. And, and this may be a temporary sort of moment, but that there will be time to hopefully repair things to things, you know, I hate to use the share of that, um, that campaign, but things do get better. <laughs> exactly. I was just thinking <laughs> of that too. Borrow that as a poet, but, but in a sense, yeah. I mean, cause even when I came out at 25, there, you know, in the gray period and stuff, I mean, there were, there were times where it was just like, very isolating even at that age and but you know i was already an adult i had a job i had things to i could move i could i had my own apartment you know there wasn't anybody really patrolling or, or really could threaten me at that point that was part one of my interview with richard blanco about his experience of coming out 20 years ago and his responses to the experiences of teenagers today as the culture is gradually changing Next week, we'll be playing part two of that interview where we talk about the challenge of taking on homophobia in the world and in your closest family relationships. If you did not get a chance to listen to this whole interview and you'd like to, or you'd like to send a link to a friend, please go to our website at safespaceradio.com. When you're there, you can listen to any of the 200 prior interviews and you can also subscribe to get a weekly email to that week's show. You can also download us from iTunes, and you can like us on Facebook. My thanks today to Gabe Graben for producing the show, to Betsy Parsons from GLSEN, the Gay, Lesbian, Straight Education Network, who's been a guiding force in this whole series, as well as Jim Russell for being our consultant, and Maurice Lennon for the intro music. Coming up next is Speak Freely. Speak Freely.